Hello and welcome to the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. This is, well, there's not a lot to discuss today. Well, there's a lot and there's also not a lot. So unless you've been living under a rock uh, since last week on Wednesday, the entire world has been in global pandemic mode uh, regarding the COVID-19 virus or the coronavirus as it's colloquially known. As a result, all sports have either been postponed indefinitely or canceled altogether. So racing didn't happen this weekend. There was no racing this weekend, and I don't think I've ever experienced that. Usually there's some race going on. Like there's some short track somewhere holding a race, but most of them got shut down by the government or were shut down by themselves, precautionary, whatever. Uh, so we had some interesting esports racing events instead. Uh, and we're going to talk about some of those and talk about some of the news regarding some of those esports events. But there were no real life races this week. So I think we should jump into the news of the week. Most of this has to do with the coronavirus, but there's still a lot of good news to look forward to to this week. So I want to preface, first of all, if you're just listening to us today because there's nothing else to do, you're bored, you're stuck at home, uh, thank you. Thank you again, first and foremost. My name is Rob Peters, and Josh, why don't you say hi to our nice listeners here, let them know that you're on the other side here. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for joining us today, guys. We appreciate it. We really do appreciate it, and because so we're still able to do this because thankfully uh, we switched up uh, how we do the podcast. So we now do these things remotely. Josh is actually in Charlotte, and I'm still here in Indianapolis. I'm quarantined, Josh. I don't know if you're quarantined. Uh, just practicing, holding just, it, keeping yeah, it just, safe. Just practicing good, good measures. Yeah. Okay. Because because I I received the report today that uh, someone in my building was tested positive for it. Uh, at my work so we are all working from home for right now which means i am going to be home the next 14 days at the very latest and possibly here indefinitely but that's okay because we still have this nice podcast that we can do and uh we're excited to bring it to you so i but i i've been monitoring this situation since since wednesday uh i went to work and i was monitoring it a little bit and i didn't really think much of it but I want to preface some things before we get into the news of the week uh, and kind of just take you guys down a, a, a timeline of how we got to where we are right now. So go back to Wednesday. when It feels like life has changed since. I mean, life is entirely different than what it was on Wednesday. I mean, everything is it, everything was operating, standard operating, normal procedure. Schools were in session. Uh, work. People were still going to work. People were going to restaurants. People were going out. People were going to sports, sporting events. And then, all of a sudden, on Wednesday night, all of that abruptly changed. So here's how all of that changed. And it doesn't have a lot to do with racing, but it's still important to keep in mind, so that you understand why these things are happening. So we fast forward here to Wednesday night. There was some substantial breaking news going on, and it was it centered around the NBA. So there was an NBA game that was set to tip off, and it was between the Jazz and the Thunder. It was in uh, Oklahoma City, I believe, Uh, and there was a sudden delay, and and people were trying to figure out what was going on with the delay, why this was happening. Well, as it turns out, there was a player for the Jazz named Rudy Gobert who did test positive for the coronavirus. Now, Gobert had stated previously that he thought it was you know, being overblown, that the situation was was not a big deal. Uh, and so he made a, you know, he made a big deal to kind of just say, ah, I'm not afraid of this. 
and then he ended up getting it. And what ended up happening was the NBA realized that this is now becoming much bigger than what we know. And the NBA was really the first people to take the first steps because there was really no prior declaration. There was no prior, I mean, there was recommendations, but there weren't anything that was being said, okay, you have to do this. There were no, no mandated. The NBA decided, you know what? This is scary. We don't want our players and our fans to be transmitting this because if this thing was going through the air in a, in a circulation, just let's just say whoever played the Jazz in the last, you know, in the last week prior to that, they could have contracted this and they could have spread it everywhere. And so, some things that need to be known is keep in mind. So I'm I'm trying to keep you guys up as up to date on this as I, as I can. I'm not gonna fe- I'm not trying to feed you guys any false information. This is just what I know. This is what I've been able to confirm. So this is what we have. We have a virus that is that is incredibly contagious, and it is an airborne virus as well. So which means that if you're within six feet of someone who has it, it and they breathe on you, cough on you, what have you, uh, it's entirely plausible that that you've been infected with this virus. Um, but the incubation period is lasts anywhere between two to fourteen days, which means there's a period of time where you have no idea that you have it because you're asymptomatic. There's no symptoms. You have no idea that this virus is even inside you. You feel fine. You 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 act fine. There's no problems. Everything's fine. Uh, but then the problem is, is when you start feeling those symptoms, that's when, you know, you're usually past the point of no return. You've already given it to Lord knows how many people because you were asymptomatic for anywhere at minimum two days. Uh, so that's what we're really looking at here. And so as a result of that, this is a virus that, while no, it's not going to kill people in good health it does have the potential to to kill people who are immunocompromised the elderly people or people who are in i wouldn't say poor health but just not the best health meaning uh we're looking at an epidemic in america because america is unfortunately one of the highest uh countries for people with diabetes and hypertension high blood pressure and this virus can do serious damage to people with those underlying health conditions. So that is a big reason why we're saying stay home because of how contagious this is and then because of how deadly it can be if it infects somebody who is, you know, not whose body is not prepared to deal with uh, a virus. And things to be things to note here is that we are looking at you know, death rates in Italy and in China that are very concerning that are that because of the amount of tests we don't have many tests that are able to go out there's more tests available in certain countries than there are right now in America so we're looking at situations in which case you know those countries say in in Europe and in in, in East Asia and places like that they have more of the ability to test however uh the more and more people who are getting tested that number goes up and then the number of deaths also goes up as well because then you're able to confirm whether or not this person passed away from some other underlying issue or if it was in fact caused by this virus and so when you look at those uh those ratios i mean we're looking at i believe i read that it's we're close if i think it was like one in 10 or one in 14 people infected with it are dying right now in italy those odds are not good if considering how little confirmed cases we have those those odds are not good and i don't know 
the exact number on there. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I do know that there it's worse than the flu. It's the the odds and the ratio of infected to death is worse than the flu. Um, Josh, did you have something you wanted to add to this? Or okay, never mind. I thought you were looking at me. Okay. So that's what we're looking at here. So that's what where all of this started. And so as a result, you know, we had talked previously that, you know, Formula One and other places were going to go without spectators. And that was primarily the first idea. So we're looking at, you know, March Madness, the NCAA, that was going to go without spectators. Lots and lots of other places. I mean, I think we did get a golf one round of uh, the players golf tournament in in front of no spectators before they called that off. Um, I know there was um, they called off tennis, tennis tournaments for this foreseeable future. Uh, football. I mean, there were football games. I know that the XFL was going to play in Seattle in front of no no fans, which, as a Seattle Dragons fan, that was going to be rough because I felt like you know that's our only advantage to playing in front of the home crowd is having the home crowd and not having them. Pretty much means we're as good as toast. Uh, turns out it doesn't matter because the XFL season for 2020 is prematurely canceled. Unfortunate. I liked the XFL. Oh well. But what I like even more is auto racing. So let's talk about some of the auto racing first and foremost nascar and indycar both announced uh at the time that they were going to move forward with the race weekends as scheduled and they were going to take place with no fans actually the indycar indycar had this thing pretty well well played out like they were screening anybody and everybody who came into the grounds in st petersburg i mean they were screening them they couldn't test them but they were screening them i mean if you went into that media center if you went into uh the paddock you were screened, you were asked questions, you were, you know, all that stuff. So it looked like they were trying to take as much precaution as possible. Uh, NASCAR was doing the same thing. They had very, very restrictive media guidelines, meaning I believe I read that uh, media it, press conferences were going to take place via phone call, Correct. Um, which would have been very, very interesting to see. I think everybody probably would have just been writing the same exact stories. That's really all you would have been able to write uh, because – if you can't go and talk to different drivers after the race and you're stuck in one area and talking to the winner, I mean, everybody's going to put out the same story just about, uh, that's really, that's really what we're going to see. Um, but so NASCAR and IndyCar took pretty good steps, but I think it was F1 that took the worst step. So F1, uh, we woke up, uh, in the morning, I believe it was on, and it was, we found out that a McLaren, a uh, team member had tested positive for the coronavirus. And from there, for some reason, it took them 12 hours to cancel the event. It should not have been that long. It should not have taken them that long. Uh, because as soon as you have the virus in your paddock, you need to quarantine. You need to shut things down. Because then that virus is going to spread. Especially in Formula 1, when you're talking about almost everybody there is from some different part of the world. I mean, we're talking Formula One is worldwide. I mean, you talk about people from Europe, from Asia, from Australia, from the United States, from Mexico, from Canada. It doesn't matter. I mean, there are people from Brazil, from Brazil. I mean, there are people all over the world. You don't want this thing, someone picking this thing up in Australia unknowingly and then flying home to quarantine and then unknowingly giving it to everybody on that plane, unknowingly giving it to everybody in the airport terminal. You know, you don't know. You just don't know. It took Formula One way too long to reschedule this race. IndyCar. So let's talk about what's canceled and what's postponed. So IndyCar has canceled its first four events of the 2020: St. Petersburg, Long Beach, Long Beach Barber, and Circuit of the Americas. 
So St. Petersburg and Barber are working on refunds and ticket deferments. I don't, not refunds for St. Petersburg. They're not giving out refunds, which I think a lot of people are hot over that. And then uh, Circuit of the Americas has no idea what they're going to do because they already postponed their MotoGP event. Um, they're shutting down, which means they just don't. They, Coda has already operated on a margin for a long time. That's something that people need to understand. The Circuit of the Americas operates on a margin. The only way they make money and are able to keep sustaining themselves is that they get a nice big check from the Texas government for as relief for hosting such a big worldwide event like Formula One. If that check doesn't come, it could be very bad for their operating future because already they've had to lay off a whole ton of people at Circuit of the Americas because they just simply can't pay them. They're not making any money. They just can't pay them. Um, Long Beach, however, on the other hand, some places say it's canceled. Some places say it's being rescheduled. I think it's being rescheduled, but it's going to be very, very tough to reschedule this event especially when you're looking at a situation where this is a street course. Street courses are so much harder to reschedule. Um, St. Petersburg, I figured they were going to go through with the race because contracts were already in place, because the, the course had already been made, money had already been pumped into this thing. They had to run it. They had to get some kind of money out of it, be it from a TV deal, be it from you know advertising revenue, whatever. Unfortunately, just couldn't be done because of the dire situations of everything. So IndyCar has basically been targeting May. They're probably going to come back and run the 500. I don't. The, the Grand Prix is very much up in the air right now, but IndyCar and IMS are all hands on deck trying to make sure that we can get the Indy 500 at least going by May. So if you care about the Indy 500, stay home. Stay home for the love of all that is good. Stay home because we absolutely need to make sure that that race gets run even if it's running in front of no fans. I mean, it's, it's, it's something that I think all of us are looking for. All of us look to the, we circle this, this date on our calendars. And even though it's not going to be Racemus, we're probably not going to see Racemus this year because Monaco is up in the air. The whole Formula 1 season is essentially suspended until May or June, late May, typically late May. So we're probably not going to see Monaco because I just read that, um, was it a prime minister? I think it was a prime minister of Monaco has tested positive for coronavirus. So already we're we're in lockdown there anyway. So uh for Formula E, Formula E just suspended entirely. I mean, we talked last week about how they had already canceled or postponed another race. Now it's entirely they're just taking the season off and just waiting to see what happens. Uh which is probably the right right route to go because they're much like Formula 1. They travel everywhere and their drivers and teams are from all over all different parts of the country. It's better to just wait. NASCAR made the announcement on Monday after they said that they were going to postpone Homestead in Atlanta. They were going to postpone the next two weeks. Now they're saying we're postponing all the races through early May with a possible return at Martinsville on Mother's Day weekend. NASCAR's intentions are to run all 36 races this year with some races running midweek while other tracks may be getting impromptu double headers. It also it is also possible by the time you listen to this podcast, it, no, it, I don't know. I, I don't know. A revised schedule is released because NASCAR may have a new schedule out before Friday, March 20th. I don't know about that part, but it's, it's, it's possible. Um, so NASCAR is suspending, which is going to be tough for them, tough for a lot of teams, tough for a lot of tracks, tough really for everybody. Keep in mind, this is something that people need to understand is, you know, a lot of these sporting 
sports sporting organizations they don't want to do this businesses don't want to do this because this is a situation that's impacting everybody globally everybody's shutting down i mean that is completely slowing down and shutting down the entire global economy so what you're seeing here businesses can't make money to support their operating costs to pay their employees to do anything because nobody has any money because nobody's making anybody because everybody's out of a job you know hooked up in their houses so this is going to be an economic problem that's going to last us probably well after this virus is 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 over uh we we probably need to be looking at situations where we're running some of these races without fans or if at all possible need to figure out more ways to monetize some of these races that we do run without fans i'm going to keep i'm going to try and speed things up through through here because i know there's still some things we want to talk about on this podcast but i just want to make sure that everybody is is clear on what is going on and is you know don't be afraid don't panic i should have probably specified that at the beginning but don't panic the last thing we need to be doing is going out and buying 80 rolls of paper don't do that first just don't be that guy you know don't be that guy and second of all don't panic take this opportunity to just do nothing <laughs> literally just take this opportunity to be as lazy and as couch potato as you want take this opportunity to get you know or if you have exercise equipment inside your house take take this opportunity to you know drop some pounds do whatever just don't panic for okay so let's talk about more formula one stuff ferrari ferrari has as a result suspended both its road car production and formula one team operations through march 27th in response to a coronavirus pandemic because keep in mind it is particularly hit hard in italy we might be seeing us here in the united states might be seeing what italy is going through again do not panic but understand that is why ferrari is doing that it is very bad in italy it is it is very very bad in italy it is getting better but it is not an ideal situation in italy so we have to keep that in mind and obviously we keep continuing to keep you know people in in italy and in spain and in france and in those places, especially China, you know, in our in our thoughts and prayers, because that's really important. We need to keep those guys in mind because they are out there on the front lines trying to protect the rest of the world from what this could become. Uh, so McLaren and Renault have also asked returning crew members from Australia to self-quarantine for 14 days. We're seeing lots, lots of race shops shutting down entirely. Um, I mean, everything's shutting down right now. But there is some good news. There is some good news. On a lighter note, Robin Miller shared his story in a story on Racer.com that Roger Penske is looking at Formula One and IMSA opportunities for the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This is this we're gonna let end things in the news on a happy note. So, if I hope again, I hope you're not panicking, but here's some happy news. Uh, at least if you like Indianapolis Motor Speedway, like I do. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, so. Pitsky is not sure about the economics of an F1 race, but that's why he sent his son Greg to meet with F1 CEO Chase Carey to hold preliminary talks. Roger Penske told Robin Miller that, quote, I want to see F1 return at some point, as well as sports cars. Indianapolis is for thoroughbreds, and we want to make it special. Penske has also spoken with IMSA President John Doonan, and Roger said he believes an endurance race at Indy has a potential. Uh, I will read a quote from here. Roger Penske, we definitely want to create more racing, more great racing and utilization of the Speedway. We want things that will last long, a long time and keep our loyal fans coming to the Speedway and bring their friends and family. It is a tremendous opportunity for us to make a difference. And I think he's absolutely right, uh, because I know it's it seems kind of hard to start thinking about, you know, next year. You know, right now we're all focused on well, what's going to happen tomorrow because of how we are. But, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We will come out of this. And, you know, no matter what happens. 
hopefully things are going to go back to normal at some point and we're going to get back to standard operating procedure. And when that happens, we have something to look forward to that, you know, hopefully we'll be getting an IMSA race back at Indianapolis and hopefully Formula One will be seeing a return to uh, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Now, do I think that we're going to have three United States Grand Prix? Boy, if F1 really wants to spread their schedule thin, we might. <laughs> but, ooh. You know, that's a lot of flyaway races because we've got Brazil, Mexico, Circuit of the Americas. We'll have Miami. We'll have Montreal. And then we'll have Indiana. That, that's that's six. That's six flyaway races for Formula One. That's going to be a lot. Not to mention uh, the flyaway races that already happened in Australia, in Singapore, in Japan. Whew. Boy. Uh, they're going to be spreading some things thin. So that's it for the racing uh, the Rob's Racing Report. I know that was the first 20 minutes and Josh didn't really get a lot of opportunities to talk. He is going to have a lot of opportunities to talk, though, in the in next couple of times because we've got some other stuff to discuss. So let's move on here to our featured paint scheme of the week, which is, again, standard operating procedure. We can all look forward to this. All look forward to this at the moment. Uh, our featured paint scheme year and series is going to be the 2015 IndyCar series. So, Josh, I want you to tell us all about your choice on who you picked for this uh, featured paint scheme. Yeah, Rob, Rob, great job. Um yeah, glad to, glad we're kind of doing our own standard operating procedure here. Glad to be doing this, and we have some things to talk about. Uh, so for for my pick, I went uh, went with JPM's number two Verizon Wireless Chevrolet. Um, honestly, it's been one of my favorite ones. I think definitely out of the uh, DW12 era, one of my favorite paint schemes out of that era that that we saw, and you know, it's kind of a swap from Will Powers. He ran the number one that year because he won the 2014 championship um, instead of the number 12. So it's kind of a, is a odd inverse paint scheme, if you will. Basically, the car was a white base, and it had a black stripe uh, down the middle of the frame of the body of the car. Then you could call it a white accent line, really just part of the base, and then red along the bottom. Um, however, the, the number did remain the same red with black lining for the number two. Um, Montoya ran this scheme 12 in the 16 races that season. He won the season opener at St. Petersburg and then the Indianapolis 500 that year, just basically edging by time. Uh, teammate Will, Will Power by one-tenth of a second. Um, Montoya led the points the entire season. The entire season, he led the point, the point standings, and then it came down to um, Scott Dixon tying him in points, but Dixon got the championship because he won Sonoma which was win number three of the year for him, which was the tiebreaker. Um, that points battle was insane. That, that was that was an insane year to, to watch in general. It was a great IndyCar year, I, I think. Oh, uh, it, was, just, it was. First year of the Aero Kits. Mm-hmm. Uh, great Indy 500. I mean, just overall, I mean, whew, it was one great season. Oh, can't yes. forget Fontana, the greatest IndyCar race no one ever saw. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, it's that's what Robin Miller called it right after it happened. I mean, it was, it, was a fa- it was a good fact, but it was a good race. It was a good race. Uh, let's see. And then, uh, yeah, I agree. It was a great race, great race for sure. And then, uh, let's see, Montoya. Lost my place here. Oh, yeah, so he uh, had a total of five podiums um, that season, and all five came in that scheme. And uh, I remember watching that Indianapolis 500, listening to the to – the, um, radio broadcast and i had will powers in-car camera on and you know it's got like a 30 second delay on it so i'm i'm saying and will power enters turn 
four and like, okay, well, it'll be there in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was a fun, fun race to watch. And I watched it all the way up to there to the end when he uh, finished second to uh, JPM there at the 500. So uh, Rob, what did you, uh, what'd you pick this week? Well, 2015 was a pretty interesting year from that point because that was the first Indy 500 I actually covered. So that was pretty fun for me. But uh, of course, uh, I had to pick one of my favorite paid schemes of all time. Um, the Ed Carpenter number 20 Fuzzies Ultra Premium Vodka Chevrolet. Uh, it was the first and only season for Carpenter Fisher Hartman Racing uh, because that quickly went away as soon as Wink Hartman realized, oh no, the oil industry is tanking. I have no money. I got to sell. And then Sarah Fisher was like, oh, Wink Hartman was my only business partner. Now, now I have no money. I got to sell. And Ed Carpenter was like, oh, good thing I still have money. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened. Um, so he picked up the pieces and Ed Carpenter Racing continued in 2016, uh, right where it left off in 2014. So, um, but Ed Carpenter obviously drove on the ovals and then Luca Filippi drove on the road courses. So this scheme was a brand new Fuzzy's Vodka scheme, uh, and it removed most of the white that was on the car, and it replaced it with this dark green base paint. And it had the, the, the gold, it had gold all over it. And I just really liked that gold and green style. I thought it was a very, very uh, aesthetically pleasing car. I mean, I thought the 2014 car was, was looked good as well. And, you know, 2013, 2012, they were all the same paint scheme. But I really liked what they did in 20, 2015 with this car. Um, I thought it really, really made it look a lot better. It was, it was like, you know, sometimes you wonder to yourself, well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But sometimes you can improve on something. Sometimes you can't improve on something, and this is a situation where I definitely think they improved on an already excellent-looking scheme. Uh, however, I wish I could say as many kind things about the way the car performed. This wasn't really exactly Ed Carpenter's best season behind the wheel. Uh, in fact, it was statistically one of his worst. Uh, but, hey, Luca Filippi had a second place at Toronto. And that was good enough. But Ed Carpenter's best finish was a sixth place at Iowa that whole season. And let, let's keep in mind, too, he had a great, great car for the Indianapolis 500. At least he thought. Uh, and I remember I, I was there, and that was when you had all of the controversies. And Ed Carpenter's car that flipped on the morning warm-up uh, right before qualifications were supposed to take place was actually what triggered the big controversy around it. It was like, okay, these cars... We've had three flips now in, in this week's worth of practices alone. We need to do something about this. There were knee-jerk reactions. There were teams that were upset. Chevy teams were penalized. Honda teams were not. Um, so Carpenter running a Chevy team, he was penalized, and he didn't qualify or race nearly as well as he probably should have in that race, uh, primarily because of all the changes that they had to do in the car that take the race setup of the car, qualify the race setup, and then try and figure out how to improve on the race setup because they had to get it into a qualifying. And it was it then also became an impound race not not long after that. So, boy, it just, uh, they, they, they couldn't do a lot with the car uh, when they needed to get it ready for race day. So, that's what happened with Ed Carpenter's 2015 season. Good thing 2016, 17, 18, and 18 have been better. And 19 have all been better for Ed Carpenter. Um, but that's my featured paint scheme of the week. Um, um, this is normally where we'd move on to this week's winner, but everything's been postponed or canceled except for one race that Josh is going to tell us about now. And we're going to talk about a little. Yeah. So the one thing that did happen this week that gave, uh, at least NASCAR fans a little bit of something to watch 
was the Replacements 100, and that was presented by iRacing and Podium Esports. Uh, basically, it was really put together, by the way I understand it, by the way the story is told, uh, by TJ Majors, who is a spotter for Joey Logano in the Cup Series, former spotter for Dale Hart Jr., and then Kevin Hamlin, who was a spotter for Alex Bowman. Um, they kind of got together with a group of guys, both active drivers and past drivers, Trout, you know, people who are employees of teams, anyone who had these these iRacing rigs put together this this 37, 36 car field of drivers to go put on this race. It was raced at Atlanta Motor Speedway on on on, uh, on iRacing. Really, really neat race. And so, you know, that that was it was really neat. So kind of combining the the race weekend's winner here and the takeaways, who won the race? Josh Williams. And Josh Williams is a spotter for Ryan Blaney. Uh, in the Cup Series, and he bested you know, some pr- some pretty good guys. You know, he 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 held off William Byron uh, in the late stages of the race. The first fifty laps in general were a little bit of cautiony. There were some wrecks. Parker Kligerman had the equivalent of controller disconnect go on go wrong with his rig, and he was running second at the time. And I think he may have had the the car that maybe could have challenged Josh Williams too. It's always uh, my biggest fear. My controller disconnecting. Yeah, and, and, and that's always been my biggest fear because I've I've had races before. You know, something will come apart, and then all of a sudden I won't be my my wheel won't turn, or my pedals won't work, or I can't shift for some reason, and that's always my biggest fear. Yeah, and he confirmed it just a few moments later. Like I think it was I think someone said on social media like add. Had a had a computer issue, you know. I had a rig issue. Um, equipment, you know, your equipment sometimes fails on real life on the track. Sometimes you you have a you know an arm break or a shock go bad, a brake failure. Well, sometimes you can have a computer failure, a rig failure, and I racing too. That's why at the Parker Kligerman. The neat thing about this was that they had a. I'm gonna. I might butcher the name, but you. They got each each driver got like one free fast repair. <laughs> I can't tell you what's more, more, much more than that, but he used his fast repair and basically took a car that would usually be done and in real life, too, would just be done. And and he actually drove back up, finished pretty decently. Uh, let me pull up here uh, as I continue to talk. You know, it was a great race, though. Uh, like I said, the first 50 laps were um, kind of wreck-filled, spin-filled, um, but... Uh, it was still fun to watch. It was fun to see these guys like okay, they're putting on a show for the fans, and it was it was a unique. It was just simply unique, and it's kind of running down the list here. Uh, like I said, Josh Williams won. William Byron finished second. Uh, Steven Steffen was third. T.J. Majors was fourth. Parker Kligerman, like I said, he rallied. He finished fifth. Uh, Tyler Overstreet uh, finished sixth. Garrett Smithley finished seventh. Dale Earnhardt Jr., he was involved in a wreck early in the race. I believe it was lap 16. Uh, he rebounded and finished eighth, and he avoided another wreck later on. Um, and it felt like, you know, you get these uh, in-car views, and you got the, the – it felt like I was watching a real Atlanta race. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of the design of, of iRacing and the way – the replay works. I've de- you know played a little bit on iRacing myself, and you know when you look at the replays and how your lap was or like what I do wrong there, it it, it shows camera views just like the actual race, 
And um, the the camera view that I got for Dylan Jr. I'm like I could have just been watching a real, the real Folds of Honor, Quick Trip 500 that was supposed to take place. Um, then continuing on here, Bubba Wallace finished ninth, and Coleman Presley uh, rounded out the top ten. Um, very, very fun to watch. Um, I'll, I'll kind of hold a few things for later uh, for our upshift downshift shift segment that's just coming up around the corner. Um, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think uh, TJ Majors and Kevin Hamlin for their part in putting this together, as well as iRacing and Podium Esports for presenting and producing the race. You know, in a time where, um, you know, our spirits can be kicked around and, and kicked down a little bit, um, we don't know what's happening. You know, this is certainly a very unique point in, in world history and in certainly our lives. And it was a good pick-me-up, you know, not knowing what tomorrow is going to bring. Um, you know, I, I went to work on Monday, you know, intern at the Charlemagne Speedway, and we found out, hey, we're going to office is closed. Um, for for a few weeks um as many other places are um you know just trying to help things out there and you need to pick me up and this was a good pick me up as well uh to watch that to to see you know i was expecting to watch a bunch of races this weekend as as was rob and um we only got this one we weren't we we didn't know we were going to have this one you know thankfully uh, a number of guys uh helped participate make this made this race uh fun to watch and because uh, some of the other takeaways I had here, too, were, you know, some of the unique views that you can't get in a real life car, or at least I don't think we ever will, um, just because it's aerodynamically, I think, difficult to do. And, and crow chiefs definitely wouldn't like it. Imagine putting like, a camera on the left side of the spoiler and looking down the side of the car. And, you know, sort of you, you got the, the, the seat, the seat post and, and the rear window sort of toward to your, um, to your right. And you're seeing the edge of the car and it's really, that's a really unique view. They showed that a number of times. I have a picture on my phone. I'm looking at like TJ majors, uh, the showing with three to go here is when I took the picture. It was just a unique situation for sure. Um, on that one, um, William Byron on the restart, I thought was so cool. These in, in, Aggressive, I, yeah, it just felt like you were watching a real race. And I was thinking to myself, like, I wonder if he's burning up that right front tire a little bit because I know that can be a, a, a real, a real deal uh, on there. And you know, it, it's i racing to simulator; it sims the, you know, the real event while um, while racing. And he held his own, uh, trying to run down Williams. He made that final restart really, really exciting, making some moves trying to get around him. He got alongside him a couple times, just couldn't complete the pass. And uh, then later on in the race, oh, I would say it was kind of in between 20 and 15 to go. It was a 100-lap race, hence replacements 100. And and uh, also in Josh Williams, who was driving the number 12 uh, Vance Auto Parts Ford like uh, like – Ryan Blaney will drive at some point this year, um, painted just, just like it. Um, it kind of started to creep away, started to pull away a little bit. And you could tell that 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 William had, had, was losing a little bit. Now, setups-wise, I can't tell you anything about, about that part. 
But uh, you know, was it setup wise? Was was Williams had, had just had simply a better car and a better setup for it, or did did Byron burn up his tires a little bit? And and um, again, just a really unique opportunity. Um, and kind of moving uh, forward here, you know, again, modified circumstances definitely have taken place. Um, it's tough to have an outstanding performance. Uh, without races, but I do want to give a shout out to the guys who really put this together. And that was TJ majors and Kevin Hamlin. Um, thank you for putting this together. Um, and in giving the race fans something to smile about, you know, it's two hours worth of worth of fun. Um, I know I streamed it early on Twitch and was watching some guys practice and you know, talking, these guys were answering questions, and then moved to the broadcast. Really professionally done, excellent job by iRacing and Podium Esports too. Um, again, I'll save sort of what I really want to say uh, for this for our next segment. Uh, but TJ Majors, Kevin Hamlin, uh, get my outstanding performance just by putting this together. That's that's pretty great. That's actually great to hear. I'm glad to hear that. Uh... That's who you're going to give it to, because that's probably who definitely deserves it. Uh, if there's anybody who deserves some praise, it's people who are still giving us sports in this time of need. Uh, let's go ahead here and quickly and move on to the upshift and downshift segments. We've got some interesting ones I think that you'll like, and we encourage you to play along with us as well using the hashtag AskRobinRoller or hashtag just RobinRoller. It doesn't really matter anymore. I tried the ask, but eh, eh. Maybe Robin Roller is a better hashtag. Anyway, so if you're new here again, it's just quick refresher. Upshift means you agree. Downshift means you disagree to a series of hypothetical questions and or statements that are being presented. So our first question on the upshift and downshift is Fox and NBC should be filling the airwaves that were supposed to host a live race event with historical races in place of the postponed or canceled events. Do you upshift or downshift on this proposal, Josh? Uh, yeah, um, um, it's an easy upshift. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Um, I think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah, I think it's an easy one. Um, and I'm not saw, and I would do step for, I would even say like, uh, you know, IndyCar did this weekend or this past weekend was air the Petersburg race. Fine. Great. That's awesome. And it, you kind of got some live tweeting from drivers too. I know it's kind of more closely following what Joseph Newgarden was saying, but, um, it was show us some older stuff. I thought like this past weekend, um, there's some great Atlanta races in the, in the, in the, in the history, uh, mm -hmm. books would have been a great time to go back and watch one of those. Um, 2000, them, 2001, maybe. 2005, yeah. uh, you know, 1992, just, 1992, 1997, the last race of the previous configuration, which was quite interesting as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so there's a lot of them you could have seen. And, and for IndyCar, um, I'm sure they might want to try to stick with a race that actually sort of maybe took place, you know, like St. Petersburg, sure, St. Petersburg race. But uh, and the same thing with NASCAR, too. But, um, yeah, I definitely would have been feeling it. And going forward, be filling the airwaves that were supposed to be filled by a live race event with a, with a historical race, not more sort of a, a last year event type thing. I'm with you. I would like to see. I would prefer. I think this goes for every sport. I would just prefer to see. Like you know, there's one thing I feel like the entire sports country 
was robbed from, and that was when ESPN Classic went away. Because I feel like when we had ESPN Classic, we had access to as many classic sporting events as we wanted. And I watched a lot. I watched a lot when I was a kid on ESPN Classic. And, you know, I really liked those. You know, I liked watching old races, old football games, old basketball games, you know, um, old sports television shows. I think they had ones on there like uh, that were, oh, they used to, they used to um, air, what was it? the celebrity challenge or whatever it was celebrity athletes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know the show you're talking about, but I'm blanking you know, on the name. I can't, I'm blanking on the name. It's way before my time, unfortunately. So anybody who's much older than who you and I are probably going to be like, Oh, you darn kids. How do you not know what that was called? Yeah, whatever. But, <laughs> but I'm still saying, I'm still saying we should have an ESPN classic like thing. So I, I would love to see some classic historical races, uh, be watched because I mean, yeah, they're all on YouTube, but could we get some in like some in like at least 480p? <laughs> Set yeah. 480p without the, the, I mean, I know they're all going to be, most of them are going to be in 480p, uh, four by three, but I would love to see some of those early 2006 races that got that were broadcasted in HD because I know that there's some of them out there and that would be really interesting. Uh, like if they would if they would replay because there's some really classic races in 2006. It's a very underrated season as well. Um, that, that that especially I think 2005 2006 very underrated seasons. Um, so yeah, uh, let's go ahead here and so NASCAR moves Sundays NASCAR to Saturday for potential inclement weather before it was ultimately postponed. Do you upshift or downshift the move which was able to be made due to no fans in attendance, Josh? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of hard not to... To me, it's kind of hard not to upshift on it. I mean, you, they were doing their best, you know, with the, with the information they had to get the race in. And when you looked at the weather, it was going to be tough because they moved the truck race up to Friday night. Yeah. Um, and... I mean, they moved. I mean, there was going to be no practice for them. They're just going to qualify and go race, which has been done before. Um, that's nothing new. Um, but uh, I, I kind of have. You know, they're trying to get the show in. They were trying to because you know, they were going to be the only show in town. I mean, again, yeah, it's going to be them and in IndyCar, and for a while, golf were the only things that were going to be showing on television. Now, ultimately, they all got uh, postponed or canceled, but they were going to be the only shows in town, and that was going to be. Uh, you know, the Folds of Honor, uh, forget his title, Quick but big wig over there. You know, he said it was going to be, it was going to be one of the, maybe the most, most watched races in history. And he was probably right. Cause again, he was, yeah. You only show in town. So I applaud them for trying to get it in, but it, it was going to be tough either way. It was going to be such a rainy weekend at, in Atlanta. And, um, what was supposed to be a very promising weekend for them, uh, just got, just the weather alone was going to be just just a downfall to it. So I applaud yeah. them for the least trying. And that's that's an issue that you'll always have is weather. I mean that's that's an issue that you have no matter what. But I think you're absolutely right in that the fact that it, you know having no fans allows you some more freedom that you normally wouldn't have had. You know now instead of being like oh crud we can't move this race because we've got to worry about tickets and people and logistics of people and logistics of teams. But oh there's no there's no fans so we don't have to worry about that and we need to get teams you know out out so that they, you know they're they're still being safe and whatnot and 
I mean, it, it had this huge possibility of being so great. I'm disappointed it didn't happen, but I understand why. I mean, that's yeah. the real that's the real problem. I think it's like, you know, we're disappointed, but we're not upset. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we yeah. all, like most of us, we understand why they're doing these. We're disappointed. We're sad. We miss sports. We're going to joke about missing sports. I mean, I'm going to continue to joke about missing sports until it. I, I run into the ground so hard that it's no longer funny, and my tweets stop getting likes on it. <laughs> but, but really, I mean, that's that's the way that, it, that we're doing it. It's disappointing, but we understand, and you know. But NASCAR did the right thing, and hopefully that they'll there'll be an opportunity to make things up. Uh, so moving on here to the next one. Uh, do you upshift or downshift that on Sunday we saw a glimpse uh, into the not-so-distant future where a part of the weekly racing lineup is a regularly broadcast simulator race? Josh, I want to hear your thoughts on this first. Yeah, so this is the one I was talking about. You know, I think this, it's kind of hard to, it's hard to say this is the last frontier. You know, it's tough to say that, but I feel like we're advancing into society where maybe it's, it's safe to say, or safer to say maybe than ever, that esports is maybe the last frontier. It really is. It's the only thing that's still going on. Yeah. Well, I'm saying like in development in sort of the world, and these guys, like right now, I've had the the E-NASCAR Coca-Cola iRacing series on my phone running this entire uh, podcast recording, and um, it's going on right now in, in Homestead. Yep, I've watched the same thing. Ten to go here. Yeah, and and I think I think it's possible. I think we did. I upshift. I think we saw a glimpse into what could potentially be part of a weekend lineup. Maybe more so for NASCAR um, because they're so it's big on it right now, and and it, and I think it's growing. You know, I think nearly eighty thousand people like watched seventy five minutes of that replacements 100 a lot of people probably took note of that too and i know nbcsn has broadcast uh, some of the playoff races last year for the iRacing series mm-hmm. uh but i i i i'm not going to say no that uh that a, a two-hour window on a saturday afternoon or even saturday night during the spring or uh summer Fox and NBC may not be airing an iRacing race on, if it's not on national TV, sure, surely the the cable network, you know, because it's growing. And I think it's just, just our generation and younger, you know, I think that I'm not going to say 12 year olds, but I'm going to say 13 to the 30 year olds. That's big right now. Mm-hmm. And maybe in it's 2020 right now, maybe in 2030, you're going to be looking at a lineup for Atlanta, Homestead. And you're going to see four races on there, and one of them is is an eye racing race. So I I think we saw a glimpse into the future, uh, and uh, I, I'm very I'm I'm very confident in saying that. Well, you know I'm I might not be as confident as you, but I definitely see think that it's it's in it's something that we need to be looking forward to. And I'll be honest with you, you know I've been sim racing all my life, quite literally all my life. Uh, my dad. Plot me behind a steering wheel, uh, NASCAR Racing 2, as early as, as I, literally, maybe 97, 98-ish, maybe even 99, I can't remember. I know it was, it was when I was very young, and, um, 
you know, I so I've always been a big fan of it. I've always enjoyed it, and and even here now, you know, I'm so starved for racing. This is I'm watching this this co e NASCAR Coca Cola I racing series that you know you told me about. I don't know why I haven't watched this something like this before because I have watched you know lots and lots of simulation races before in my life. I've participated in many of them. It's really really fun and. I look at this right now, and this is good. This is really good stuff because this is, you know, this is interesting. Now, I think we're seeing a lot of sports try and replicate their sport through video games, and sometimes it's easier said than done. I know I know, we saw in basketball the Phoenix Suns tried to re- just – they said, all right, we're going to play the rest of our games uh, on NBA 2K20. That's what we're going to do. We're going to play the rest of our games on 2K. Great idea. Because obviously there's there's some there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of hype there's a lot of fans a lot of, especially a lot of young kids who really like the NBA 2K 2K league, uh, so I think you know the Phoenix Suns doing that for their fans is a really good thing. But the difference between you know something like basketball doing basketball esport and the difference between doing something like a racing esport and Josh I don't know if you've brought this up yet because you know I was in the bathroom for a while, but um, you know I I think that. You know, racing is one of the only esports where, you know, you might ha- you have actually the talent and the skill translates almost exactly from the real thing to the simulated thing. You know, you get behind the wheel of a race car. You know, they try and make that simulator the exact the exact same experience. You know, they're trying to make it. I racing specifically exists so that it is as, as close to the real thing as it possibly can get. So when you're looking at that, I mean, this is something where I mean, when you see actual real name drivers and then even young drivers and people who've never actually sat behind the wheel of a real car, you know, going out there, leading laps, winning races in these things, maybe even beating cup drivers, you know, beating Xfinity drivers, beating late model drivers, you know, whatever, you know, that's a very big uh, draw because then a lot of people who like to see underdogs win are going to be even happier to be watching this. So I think... This is the, I'm not as confident as you, Josh. Maybe as as we seeing this, maybe like the fourth event of the weekend. But I could see this probably picking up some. Uh, definitely, this is going to pick up some some momentum, some steam. I'm already very big into this. This has been great to watch because look, it's actual real life racing that I have not seen in in about a week now, and I miss it. I miss it, and so, you know, I didn't think when I was watching Phoenix, when we were talking about Phoenix, this was going to be the last NASCAR race we were going to talk about for a while, yet here we are. Uh, This is the reality of it, so, you know, do I see maybe an immediate future where we're seeing these races be broadcast on TV? Yes, absolutely. Oh, 100%. I think these things are going to be very popular on TV because people are going to be begging for a sport to watch on TV. So, that's where I'm going with that. That's how I see it as. Uh, So, that's why I'm going to upshift, but maybe not with as much confidence as you. Uh, let's go here on to the net. last question of the day. Last uh, upshift, downshift question as uh, that eSports, that uh, e-racing race just con- concluded. Um, we've already discussed Robin Miller's story that Roger Penske is working to bring F1 and IMSA to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Do you upshift or downshift the potential of two big races added to the IMS calendar? I am going to go first, and I apologize, Josh, but I'm going to get my say out of the way because I realize we're at 15 minutes. Uh, yes, absolutely. This is a fantastic deal for Indianapolis Motor Speedway. This is exactly what they need. This is everything that they need right now because you're looking at a situation where as soon as they lost MotoGP, it was 
it was going to be rough. Losing MotoGP, then losing the air race back-to-back, essentially what is back-to-back seasons, that is going to be rough. That is going to take a substantial toll on the Speedway because they've been so used to holding three events every year since 2000. They had held three big events. They had it, whether it be it was always IndyCar, NASCAR, and then Formula One. Then Formula One turned into MotoGP, and then MotoGP turned into the Air Race. And now they had nothing this past year. They had nothing, so they're trying to to revitalize that. Trying to get more races back. I think if we go into a fourth race, get a nice little IMSA endurance round going, that's even bigger because you know IMS for the longest time. I think they've been trying to really make note that we're no longer at a point where we can just hold one race a season. You know. I don't think any track really can do that, where they could just hold one big race a season. You know, they have there have to be other races that we hold here. And so I think from an economic standpoint and in a standpoint that'll probably bring fans, Formula One will bring a lot of fans to that racetrack. Formula One is going to bring a lot of fans to that racetrack because there's going to be a lot of Midwestern fans that would probably have loved and love to travel to Montreal. I would love to go see Circuit of the Americas once. But I just don't have the money. Texas is too far away from me. But let me tell you something. If we get Formula One back in Indianapolis, that would be a great opportunity for everybody. Josh, what's your thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, um, I might be a little biased, but yeah, I, <laughs> it's an upshift, right? We're both biased. We're both from Indianapolis. We both want to see Formula One return. Yeah, and, and to your point, you know, to hit on a couple of your points, I, no place can be a uh, a one event a year. You have to be a multi-purpose facility. I mean, you have to. It's just not economically viable to hold one event a year at your place or ho- or host one plane. You know, you can't be you know Banker's Life Fieldhouse can't just host the Pacers. You got to have more than just the Pacers in town, right? Right. Um, but to me, I think it 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 stands to point. Roger Penske has a lot of power, right? He's got a lot of influence. I'm not going to discount the, the 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 previous ownership on what they could have accomplished or not, but Roger Penske is well respected. And you know, just think about this: if they could get those two, right? They're going to have IndyCar, they're going to have NASCAR, mm-hmm. they'd have Formula One and IMSA. No other circuit can say that. All the races would be broadcast on. No, nope, never mind. I take it back. I almost said all the races would be broadcast on. Quickly remembered. Oh yeah, ESPN still has. Fun. Yeah. I don't know but, why that but, took me a while to remember, but yeah, yeah. But 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 my point is, is like no other place could claim that to no. have that that worldly of a reach of motorsports, and I think that would make that so the place so cool. Um, you'd have I uh, really four unique races, mm-hmm. four very unique races. You wouldn't really have it totally you know, different, no, different. Yeah, kinds I, of I mean, races. you could say IndyCar and for, the IndyCar uh, Grand Prix and in the, in the Formula One. Grand Prix, similar, but that's not that's not the big ticket for IndyCar. Their big ticket right. is the Indianapolis Five Hundred. The Grand Prix is really just to be like, uh, you know, like a pre, like, like it's yeah. like, it's supposed to be like the the it's the family act. fun version of the of, of the of the Five Hundred. Yeah, when you go to a concert, there's always like an opening act for people who get there early. So for people who get to IMS early in the month of May, like who are there waiting on like whatever May 9th or something, whenever it is, whenever the gates open for the first time. Yeah, and they're like, knock, knock. I'm here. I'm ready. You know, those are the kinds of people the Grand Prix is exactly for. Yeah, you know, I get, I get, I get but I get your point. You know, the, the 500 is the main event. Yeah. So I mean, I would upshift on it, and I've I've always said they can happen. You got a long calendar. You know, you could have a race in May. You know, if if it's NASCAR stays where it's at, you know, you could have a. Obviously, the 500 is going to be in May. You can keep the 
the uh, brickyard on the Fourth of July, if that's what NASCAR should desire. Uh, and you can run. Please change it. NASCAR. Formula One in late July, uh, early August, or even after that. And you know, IMSA could run later in the year than that. I don't know how it would fall. I really don't. I think they're. I think I always think their first act of the year will be the 500, though, because that's what they want to push that countdown mm-hmm. to to the 500. So, but I upshift. I would love to see it happen. It would make it really seriously the one of the most unique sporting venues in the world. If it, I mean, as it is already. So, that's that's my opinion on it. I'd love to see it happen. I think we all would. And speaking of racetracks, I think Josh. You've got a racetrack to talk about already that I think most of us are very much well aware of, but I think we could all go for some history lessons on this great track. Josh, why don't you tell us all about today's featured racetrack? Yeah, I had a racetrack already picked out for this week, but I'm going to save that one for another episode. I just decided to go with this track because, um, you know, I haven't chosen too many big-time active tracks in this segment's history for, for the show. But I am today, and and I mentioned it earlier, gave it a hint. This track was trending towards its best weekend since 2014, folks. Mm-hmm. And um, while there are more worldly, serious worldly concerns out there, I, I just feel bad for Atlanta Motor Speedway. And um, I chose them to say, you know, let's talk about them a little bit this week. So, um, you know, it's located in Hampton, Georgia. The 1.54-mile quad oval was built uh, what was it like a true oval like Homestead Miami is today and that when it was built uh 1959 1960 it was 1.522 miles in length it was known as Atlanta International Raceway Fireball Roberts won the first ever NASCAR Grand National Race the Dixie 300 on July 31st 1960 he passed caught no one's on lap 188 of 200 and l- led the rest of the way to win in a smoky eunuch Pontiac uh inaugural uh, World 600 winner from earlier that year, Jolie Johnson finished 42nd of 45 cars after a rocker arm failure uh, sidelined him after only completing 45 circuits. Later that season, on October 30th, the second race at Atlanta International Raceway uh, was contested. The Atlanta 500 was won by Bobby Johns in a Cotton Owens Pontiac. He lapped all other 45 competitors at least once. The 44 competitors, excuse, excuse me, at least once. He led 225 of the 334 laps and was his first of two NASCAR Cup Series victories. His second and final would be at Bristol in 1962. Um, the 1990s were a decade of change for NASCAR, and Atlanta saw changes. In October 1990, Bruton Smith bought the Speedway and officially changed the facility's name from Atlanta International Raceway to Atlanta Motor Speedway. The next year saw the construction of the East Turn Grandstand, which added 25,000 seats. In 1994, the nine-story Terra, Terra Place uh, opened, containing uh, more luxury suites, the Speedway's offices, a ballroom, and 46 luxury condominiums. Alongside it uh, was the uh, Terra Clubhouse and its accompanying swimming pool and tennis courts. Uh, the biggest changes came in 1997, though. The track was reconfigured between the March 9th race weekend and uh, the season finale race weekend on November 16th. The front stretch became the back stretch and vice versa. Uh, the two dog legs were added to the newly designated front stretch, which extended the track from its 1.522 mile length to the current 1.54 mile length. Uh, this change made Atlanta the quad oval it is today. New media and garage facilities were also constructed as part of the project and made Atlanta one of the fastest tracks, if not the fastest tracks, 
uh, track in the NASCAR circuit. Atlanta hosted two NASCAR Cup Series races annually from 1960 to 2010. Before 20, uh, before in 2011, one of its dates went to Kentucky Speedway. To date, 112 uh, Cup races have been run. Uh, Dale Earnhardt owns the most Cup wins with nine. Kale Yarbrough is second with seven. Richard Petty and Bobby Labonte are third with six each, and you could argue that it, Atlanta is Bobby Labonte's best track, uh, was his best track. He won 21 career races, and six of them, as I said, were at Atlanta. Now, the Xfinity Series has raced there once annually since 1992. Jeff Gordon won the inaugural race on March 14th of that year, driving the number one Baby Ruth Ford for Bill Davis Racing. He led 103 of the 197 laps and bested Handsome Harry Gant for the win. Future NASCAR champions Dale Jarrett and Bobby Labonte, along with Gordon, were in that race. Uh, Kevin Harvick leads all Xfinity Series winners with five. Mark Martin has three. Jeff Burton, Kyle Busch, Carl Edwards, and Matt Kenseth. Oh, and Jamie McMurray, each have two. Uh, the Gander Outdoors RV, uh, uh, the I'll say that again. The NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoors Truck Series has visited every year with the exception of 2013 and 2014 uh, since its first race in 2004. Bobby uh, Hamilton won the first race in a very memorable finish. Uh, when Mike Skinner spun off the exit of turn four, coming down the front stretch, and, and he was battling side-by-side side with Hamilton for the win. Um, but Hamilton won. Skinner still finished second, though. Kyle Busch leads all the drivers with five Skinner, wins. Bobby the eight. Hamilton will win the Easy Care 200. Sorry, I had to repeat. Uh, no, you're fine. Rick, Rick Allen's call to the end, because it's always memorable to me, that race. Anyway, continue. It is very memorable. Uh, Kyle Busch leads all, all drivers with five wins through the 18 races there. Ron Horaday has two, and everyone else just has one. Uh, so it's been kind of overall pretty anyone's game when you go to Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arco's also raced there. Uh, they raced there from 19, uh, 2003. Uh, the one notable winner I want to pick out, Kerry Earnhardt, won in November 2001, driving the number two Diamond Cut Jeans Chevrolet for DEI. Uh, and American Open Wheels also been there a few trip uh, a few times. USAC made its first trips in 1960, uh, six, in 1965 and 1966. Those two races were won by Johnny Rutherford and Mario Andretti. USAC returned in 1978, and Rick Mears uh, won that race. And then uh, ne- the next year, 1979, CART became the sanctioning body. Uh, it held three races in 1979, none in 1980, one in, uh, two in 1981, uh, one in 1982 and 1983. Johnny Rutherford won twice, twice more there, and then Rick Mears won straight, won four straight races there from uh, between the years 1979 and 1982. Um, and Atlanta returned again for the NTT IndyCar Series back in 1998. Kenny Brack won in 1998. Scott Sharp won in 1999, and Greg Greg Ray won the final two races in 2000 and 2001. The 2000 Greg Ray. Say so what? Did you mentioned Greg Ray's win in Atlanta in 2000? I did. I'm I did. So yeah. I, I know. I heard it, and I was just excited. I wanted to make sure that our viewer, our listeners, heard that Greg Ray, Greg Ray was mentioned. Yes, if you're new to this, uh, <laughs> Rob Peters loves Greg Ray. He could talk about it all day long. Greg Ray is my favorite IRL driver. A favorite <laughs> flame-out, burnout driver, period. I don't care what you call Greg Ray was Greg Ray. When, when I was a kid, it was no more and cooler than Greg Ray. Just saying. Well, that was uh, his 2001 Keep going. Keep going. I'm going. I'm going on here because I know we're low on time. The 2001 victory, uh, the Z-Max Atlanta 500 Classic was uh, his final career win. 
He led 184 of the 200 laps and the number two, John's Manville Menard's Oldsmobile for John Menard. That Scott Sharp and Buzz Calkins. Crash in it. Yes, yes, yes. You mentioned the crash. Um, if, you, if, if, if you don't make the highlight of that race, Greg Race Dr. Final. Jack Miller's last start, and he was yes. also the same guy who ended up triggering a big crash. Casey Mears was actually in that race and in that accident as well. Fun yes. fact, Casey Mears, the NASCAR driver we all think of. Casey Mears, actually, before he even got to NASCAR, was doing a bunch of open-wheel stuff. He he made a start at, in the kart race at Fontana, I think, at 2000. He was an injury replacement for um, Zanardi, I think. And then, um, or 2001, maybe. He was an injury replacement for someone. It might not have been Zanardi. But yeah, Casey Mears was running in, in open-wheel stuff way before he got even into the stock cars. And that's an interesting point to, to remember. But yeah, that 2001 Atlanta race was... If you get the chance, there's there's certain, and I'm sorry to interrupt you, Josh. There's it's just I gotta talk about this because if you get the chance to watch Atlanta open wheel races, watch the ones from the early '80s, and then watch the IRL ones because those are the those are the ones where you're just like these guys are flying through here. How in the world? Even in the '80s, they were flying through there, and and, and Atlanta is completely different uh, back then from what it is now. But those guys were flat flying through there. And I don't think. They, I mean, maybe Texas World came close to, to, to a track that had as much banking. It was as fast back then. But, yeah, it's it's wild to see how crazy some of those drivers were racing in there at, at Atlanta in, like, 82, 83. Well, he mentioned the wreck, and I was just going to say, you know, it, he, like I said, he knows this stuff better than I do. I have to look up some of this stuff. I could have just said, hey, tell me about this race, and he spat it on for about 20 minutes, I'm sure, because I've heard it. <laughs> But uh, he's he's really knowledgeable on it, and like if you the two highlights of that race, Greg Ray's final career win and the eleven car pile up, were apparently where no one got seriously hurt. That was the miraculous thing. If you watch the replay, someone was watching over everyone I mean, in that field. It if you look at that race, and it, and forgive me if this is in poor taste, but I don't think I think it, we're just talking about like con- things that are look like another. If you compare that crash to the one that Dan Weldon unfortunately perished in, that crash almost looks worse by comparison. And yet, no, everybody was fine just because of where the cars hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, we had cars flat flying, flying over guys, just like, I mean, very similar accidents, flames, fireballs, and everything. Everybody emerges un- unscathed in one, and then the other one, people are all injured. It's IRL was daredevil racing back then, man. I mean, you had to be crazy. To strap into one of those things. Little bit, little bit here. And then the last few points I got here. You know, there's been a couple memorable NASCAR races that have occurred just in the last three decades at Atlanta. You know, three of the closest finishes in NASCAR Cup Series history have taken place at Atlanta. Yes, I'm going to mention the 26th closest finish uh, is the Carl Edwards when he just edged Jimmy Johnson in 2005. Um, that was by that three. One. That was by three. Hundreds of a second. I watched that race live. Couldn't believe it. Uh, five years earlier, though, Dale Earnhardt beat Bobby Labonte in the 2000 uh, spring race by one one hundredth of a second. And then one year after the black number three went to victory lane, one of the biggest healing moments in NASCAR history and for the NASCAR community following the death of the Intimidator came when the white number 29 driven by Kevin Harvick beat Jeff Gordon by six one thousandths of a second in what is the closest 
uh, seventh closest finish in Cup Series history. Um, a couple more have been closer since then. Uh, one has beat it. Uh, you know, the 2003 Ricky Craven, Kurt Busch is the closest one in NASCAR history there. But the instant classic was 1992 NASCAR Wilson Cup Series uh, season finale race, the Hooters 500. We kind of hinted on it earlier. Six drivers had a mathematical chance to win the championship after 28 races. In race number 29, six guys had a mathematical chance uh, to win. Mark Martin, Harry Gant, Kyle Petty, yeah, they needed a little more help. They they needed a little bit of a stretch help to have a chance to win. But the realistic opportunities came with Bill Elliott, David Allison, Alan Kowicki. Um, Allison just needed to finish fifth or better, and he was going to clinch it. But he was involved in a crash when Ernie Irvin spun uh, on lap 254 of the uh, 328 lap event. That ended his chances that day. Uh, Bill Elliott won the race, leading 102 laps. But Kowicki finished second, and he led 103, which gave him the bonus points. And he won the championship by 10. 10 points, Alan Kowicki did. The underdog story, I think, uh, in NASCAR history. The biggest underdog story in NASCAR history. Uh, You know, on top of all that dramatics, I like to call it the clash of three eras in NASCAR. Yeah, it really was. That was was a changing race. Yes. The Dale Earnhardt era was alive and well. of his would be seven championships up until that point. Um, yeah, he had two more years going too. well, but the Richard Petty, yeah. uh, Richard Petty was making his final career start and Jeff Gordon was making his first career start. Now that was one era that was coming to an end and one that was beginning, but we just didn't yet. And I think that's what makes this, those, those up that the championship and then those three eras clashing, maybe make this. I don't want to say the greatest race in NASCAR history, but it's certainly in the top five. Because I think that's a, that's a tough distinction to point out. It's like saying who's the best NASCAR driver of all time. It's tough to say because you can't compare eras very easily. But it is certainly one of those races where if you had to say, all right, tell me about NASCAR, go look at the 1992 Hooters 500 at Atlanta. So that was the Rollers featured racetrack this week. Wanted to give Atlanta some love and, um, because man, ugh, they were going to have such a good weekend. Um, and obviously other worldly concerns and then side note, mother nature didn't act kindly to them. Um, but, uh, I can't wait to see, uh, the 2020 folds of honor quick trip 500, uh, this year, whenever that will be. And, um, looking forward to it, Rob, we got, we need to wrap this thing up, man. Tell us what's it, what's in the windshield. Yeah. Let's go ahead and run up into what's in the windshield here real quick. Uh, unfortunately, we have absolutely no idea what's because everything's postponed until about May. But we have some good news on the on the horizon that was just announced today. NASCAR iRacing introduced eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series, and I'll quickly read the pre- the uh, press release here. NASCAR and iRacing announced the formation of the e-race, eNASCAR iRacing Pro Invitational Series, an exhibition esports series featuring many of the sports top most talented and popular drivers. The simulation style showcase will include a cross-section of competitors from the NASCAR Cup Series, NASCAR Xfinity Series, NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series, and a group of NASCAR dignitaries. Uh, so we are looking... We The multi-week series will kick off Sunday, March 22nd at 1.30 p.m. on the virtual Homestead Miami Speedway. The remaining race and broadcast details will be announced at a later date. Uh, the exhibition series will feature some of the best NASCAR drivers. Drivers currently expected to participate include Dale Earnhardt Jr., Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, Clint Boyer, Kyle Larson, and Christopher Bell. So we do have some some racing, e-racing, which, like we've already talked about today, 
is probably all we're going to have for a while. I think it's time that we just got used to it for the next couple of months and just enjoyed what we have. And hey, even maybe participate in some are uh, as well. So we have a we've talked for way too long. We've gone very far. But remember, everybody, uh, stay inside, stay safe, wash your hands. Don't go anywhere unless you absolutely have to. Obviously, go out and grab as many groceries as you want. Just uh, be be nice. Be nice to other people. Remember, other people have be to buy groceries to the as well. Grocers out there, this ain't their fault, folks. I've been there. Um, I saw some of it today when I went shopping at 6 a.m. Be kind. It's not their fault. Um, just it's treating everyone with respect. It's, that's it's nobody's fault out there right now. No, don't blame anybody. Don't blame anybody for what's going on out there right now. Uh, well, you can blame some people, but not not the grocery workers. That's for sure. Uh, anyway, so thank you so much, guys, for listening tonight today. Uh, again, be safe. Be uh, be careful. And uh, we'll be back with the Racing with Robin Roller podcast. Don't forget to follow me at R-P-E-E-T-E-R-S-3-3. That's R-Peters-33. Josh is at Roller underscore zero one, R-O-L-L-E-R underscore zero one. And our podcast Twitter page is at Robin Roller, spelled just like it sounds, uh, R-O-B-A-N-D-R-O-L-L-E-R. Thank you, everybody, for listening, and hope you have a good week being indoors. And Stay safe, and we'll be back.